Okay. Was that you slating? Yes. (laughs) I was trying to give us our five seconds. Oh, okay. (laughs) You normally do like... I do. (laughs) Don't be changing things up and not telling me after a a month of not recording. What's wrong with you? Okay, sorry. judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized i'm kimberly and i'm rebecca join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations welcome back Welcome back, everybody. How is everyone? It's been so long since we recorded. <laughs> it has been. And we mentioned before that it was going to be a while, but like, I forgot how to set up my mic, everything. And I also sound like this. So yes. I apologize right out the gate. I got a cold, I think, from my nephew. He's adorable, so we won't be mad at him. Um, but I feel better now, but I sound like this. So it's sexy. Like, I I <laughs> think so. Like, I want to say so into like... I say something high pitched and it's like, it's gross. <laughs> um, I'm like, it sounds sultry or does it sound like, you know, death? I don't know. I you feel be okay the judge. though. <laughs> you be the judge. You let me know if you're like, ugh, I couldn't even listen to that episode, which please listen to this episode. Please, it's I'm so good. excited about this episode. I feel like we put in a lot of work to this one. <laughs> I feel like my voice is raspy and it reminds me of a legend that we just lost. Tina Turner. Oh, yeah. Um, passed away like two days ago from our time. She was 83. I've learned like I've been like, what happened? And people are just like, she had a long time illness. But I don't know. I guess she never said what it you was. Know, or I respect people who keep that to themselves yeah. because then it doesn't become their whole identity. Yes. Like people weren't just waiting for her to die. You know, right. like that probably would feel terrible because... Like I said, she's really legendary and she's just awesome. There is a very great documentary on HBO Max. Actually, I think it's just called Max now, which is weird. Ugh, Whatever. Yeah. Um, it's called Tina, where she talks about her life and her music and like her adventures and lots of other people um, jump in, like Angela Bassett's in it because she did the Tina Turner movie. Right. Um, it's really good. I watched it for the episode of It's a Fandom thing that I did about Angela Bassett. And you can't see, but my shirt is all Angela Bassett's. Oh, I was wondering what that was. I I just thought it was like like girlfriends or something. <laughs> no, it's just all Angela Bassett's. Um, I like that. Me too. But that documentary is really great. It's called Tina. She's fantastic. She'll be missed. She was she did a tour like a couple of years ago, and I was like, ugh, I should go because who knows when she'll tour again. I was like, you know what? I'll go next time. Oh, always go. Like I went to go see Elton John for that same reason. I was like. Who it's his farewell tour. I have to go. And like Jen Jackson, oh, that was part of my travels. Not to make it all about me, you know. We talk about other things, but up front we do like a little chit chat. But part of my travels was seeing Janet Jackson. That's right. And she was phenomenal. And I was sick by then. So it kind of hurt that I couldn't sing as much as I wanted to at the concert. Mm. So I danced a lot. Um she was phenomenal. And because it was outside, like, New York has, like, rules where you have to be done by, like, 10. She went to, like, 1040. So from, like, 8 to 1040, she danced and sang because she's got so many hits. It was, like, what's she going to do? 
It was amazing. And we like I had no idea that states. about New York. Oh, it's like a union rule. Oh, okay. Well, I yeah. respect that then. Yeah. <laughs> I can get behind it. <laughs> I thought it was like rich people being complaining about noise and then I was going to oh. be mad, but if that's it's like for the union, I I'm behind it. <laughs> are you are you referencing the Forest Hill Stadium thing that's happening? Oh, no, I'm not, but Oh. So Forest Hill Stadium is in Forest Hills, which is a very ritzy neighborhood in Queens. But the stadium has been there forever. I think they took like a little bit of a hiatus to like rebuild some stuff. But now they're complaining because like kids are walking through our neighborhoods. But they weren't complaining like in the 70s when like Barbara Streisand played there and like that guy from the Beatles. So I can't remember his name. Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Yes. (laughs) When he played there, like there were no complaints. But now they're like old and they're like, we don't want these people walking around here. So they like have cut off. There's like a path. That people can get to and they've cut off the path which is dumb because now people have to walk through their neighborhoods and i'm like if you're leaving the forest hill stadium and they made you walk the longer way around because they're mad you should be as loud as fuck like you should be screaming whatever songs you were just screaming and just annoy these people because they're old rich people and they just like don't want things a certain way but it's like this has been this way forever but now you have a problem yeah, but this city's ever changing. Like you notice that about different neighborhoods as they start to like age, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they'll be a little like I remember when I first moved to my neighborhood, it was Stroller City. And mm-hmm. you don't really see as many strollers around here anymore because those kid those kids in strollers are now all in high school. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like Williamsburg used to be when you got pregnant, you like moved to Long Island. Um, but the other day, so weird, we saw like a family of four in the grocery store and I was just like, like a white family of four in the grocery store. And I was just like, what are they doing here? And I was like, wait, white people are staying after they have kids now. So mm. that's going to be interesting. In my neighborhood, it's not super calm, especially the part of Williamsburg I live in. No, it sounds it's like all, gentrification though, right? Yes. But I guess the fact that they're staying and they're deciding to raise their kids here and put money into the public schools and stuff makes me feel better because before it was just... These young kids come out of college and they're like, woohoo, I live in Brooklyn. I'm so cool. And they give nothing back to the community. And then they leave and buy a house, you know, the second they're able to. But the fact that these people are deciding to stay, Mm. it's weird to see. But like, I'm embracing it because I'm also going to raise my kids here in the city. Like, I I like it. And I'm glad that other people are deciding to do it, too. So but it's just weird to see that it's starting because it was you would never see even like. I mean, the second people got pregnant, like they moved or you would move okay. to Queens or you moved to Long Island. So now it's like it's weird to see like young white families with kids because my neighborhood is like black, Spanish, Asian, like and Hasidic. <laughs> There's a lot of kids in that part of the neighborhood. <laughs> They're their own section. But yes, you're used to seeing lots of little Hasidic kids. But so it's it's so weird. But it's just like, oh, the neighborhood's changing. Maybe our yeah. schools will get better. Thanks, white people. (laughs) If there's one thing we can do, I don't know. (laughs) If there's one thing you can do, you could stay in the city, have your kids, and maybe the schools will get better. Yeah. So before I die of this cold or my voice disappears, do you want to get into uh, what we're talking about today? I think we should. I think we should. Today we're going to be talking about female superheroes, focusing on the women of Marvel and most specifically the women in the MCU, which is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
We'll cover some of the history of the women in comics and consider the ways in which women have been depicted in the different phases of the MCU. Then we'll consider some of the hot takes from different media outlets regarding some of these female superheroes. Spoiler alert, they're not all positive. <laughs> After that, we'll take a look into the motivations behind the stories being told about women's, women superheroes and why it might skew perceptions of these characters. Finally, we'll wrap up by looking at both negative and positive impact women in the MCU have had on audiences, especially women and girls. So a couple of uh, trigger warnings uh, for PTSD, death, and all the spoilers. Like every single film is going to be spoiled. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and TV show. And TV show. Sorry. But also you should watch these. Maybe it won't ruin it enough. Maybe you it'll make you want to watch it. Yes. Before we dig into the topic, though, Kim, how have female superheroes and the women of the MCU affected you personally? That is a very good question. <laughs> um, I've always been kind of like a casual fan of the MCU, like seen stuff, but not really analyzed it. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of favorites. Clearly, Peter Parker. My dog's name is Peter Barker. If you don't know, you should follow him on Instagram. He's adorable. But during the start of COVID, I was bored out of my mind. And I gave myself the challenge to watch all the MCU things in order, including TV shows. It was kind of amazing. And I got super hooked because... It really is a world of its own. Like, I like world building, and mm. MCU has built, like, such a world. Um, I could share the resources for, like, the order that you watch everything. But, like, it made me watch things that I would have never watched, like Agent Carter, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which have – the TV shows have way more in-depth uh, female characters. So I started to get really into it that way. I think just because they're, like, episodic and they have more time to actually build. But um, I did – it also made me get started into the movies more, and I realized that there wasn't a lot of female interaction until super recently. So I feel like now I'm invested. Like I'm on this train. Yeah. 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 What about you? Well, I wasn't a comics fan growing up and I probably, I don't remember cause you know, it was so long ago, but I probably had to be convinced to see Iron Man back in 2008. I'm sure Sean was like, I really want to see this. And I was like, ah, oh, okay, sure. Let's do it. Um, but you know, the same as you, like as soon as the world started expanding, I, I got more interested and I know for some people, they got tired of it once it got to the point where everything is connected and like you have to have seen everything mm -hmm. in order to understand. I get that. They can be exhausting. But for me, like, I love that. I thrive off that. Right. And I remember seeing Wonder Woman. And yes, I know that's DC before anyone goes jumping down my throat um, and being pretty disappointed in it uh, because mm. I didn't need the love story. I didn't want it. Yeah. But then, then Captain Marvel came out and I liked that better despite the criticism, you know. And like you said, phase four, uh, that one's made me pretty happy uh, so far with women. And diversity representation in general, I think, has just improved in the newest phase. Oh, so much. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm still, a, I'm still an MCU fan. Same. Okay, so before we dig in specifically to the women of the MCU, we wanted to set the scene with a little bit of history of women in the comics industry in general. The portrayal of women in comics, specifically U.S. comics, has regularly been a controversial subject. Women, whether they're leaders or supporting characters, are generally more, sub more subjected to stereotyping and, depending on the time period, hypersexualization. Let's start with the golden age of comics. 
This period was from 1938 with the introduction of Superman until 1954 with the introduction of the Comics Code. Dun, dun, dun. No, but seriously. <laughs> it's, it's like, mm, okay. Uh, I feel like we're, we're sliding back into a, a time when that might reemerge. Like, it, it makes me concerned. <laughs> what? You think America's getting like the 50s? <laughs> what makes you say that? Well, let's see. Uh, during this era, the, during the era of uh, the golden age of comics, women were not the superheroes. They were career girls. They were love interests. Or maybe they were lively teenagers, like if you think about like the Archie comics mm, and stuff. Yeah. They were either the good girl or the bad girl. The Betty or the Veronica. Exactly. <laughs> and they had little to no impact on the choices and decisions of the male characters and heroes. So I have a fun fact that I like researched last night because I was like, who's the first one? So the first ever female superhero was Fantoma. So she just showed up in 1941. She was a mysterious woman who protects the jungle with her supernatural powers. She can fly and transform objects into different objects. When she uses her superpowers, her normally beautiful face turns into a blue skull. Okay. Her comic, her comic book, it's, her comic is described as grotesque and goofy. So basically nobody took it seriously. Yeah, it was probably done as like an April Fool's joke or something. <laughs> I think it. I, I got to do more research on, but I think it was like a someone was supposed to write something else, and they were like, "Oh, let me just write this real quick." Ah, uh, and that's that's where we got her. Okay, she wasn't around for very long. No, I I, I hadn't heard of her, but no, I mean that, but that doesn't is mean the anything. First one. <laughs> yes, Fantoma, the first female superhero. Okay, here we go. <laughs> After World War II, a Senate subcommittee was created to address the perceived rise in juvenile delinquency. Why does this come up generation after generation? I mean, like, seriously, kids are always delinquents in the eyes mm -hmm. of adults in power. Like, always. It doesn't matter what we were delinquents. Now the, the Gen Z is delinquent. Like, everyone is making, like, they just think it's different than when they were kids. And it is, but it isn't, like, simultaneously, mm -hmm. right? Ugh. Yeah, everybody has their struggles. It's just going to change over generations. Exactly. Anyway, a public hearing was held to determine any links between delinquency and comic books, kind of like in the 80s with music and in the early 2000s with video games. Yeah, it's always something. They've got, they've got to blame, put the blame on something. Now it's just books. <laughs> now it's like books and TikTok and everything Well, it's else. true. No, the TikTok is probably the real one. I'm just like you know very angry about all the the blatant the book, book banning yes they're not even trying to hide it anyway uh, why does this matter to our discussion of women well apparently it was thought that the portrayal of women was the problem psychiatrist frederick wortham suggested that it was because women in comics were not homemakers they didn't bring up family and motherly love was absent oh and uh lesbian overtones Thanks, Wonder Woman. <laughs> Living on an island with a bunch of other ladies. Fighting. All right, we get it. Uh-huh. Comic books were deemed a threat to the standards of American decency, and instead of government regulation, the Comics Magazine Association of America created its own code of self-censorship, which censored violence, sexuality, and so-called abnormal romance. Again, read queer. 
Yeah. Uh, and instead reinforced traditional gender roles and the sanctity of marriage. It just sounds really boring. <laughs> it does. Like, what is this comic book about? Like, this lady sending her husband off to work and then making pies? Like, what is this about? Yeah. I don't, I guess they just, they were like, ugh, this is boring. We're not even going to bother writing it because it's terrible. Ugh. So as a result, women in comics were mostly shown in conservative traditional manners. These rules were revised to be less restrictive as social norms started to change. And with the creation of direct market sales, it was harder to enforce some of the rules, so fewer publishers concerned themselves with it, leading to the code being completely abandoned by 2011. But 2011, I mean, that's not that long ago, honestly. No. I'm surprised they held on to it for so long. Yeah. The creation of the comics code is what transitions us into what they call the Silver Age of Comics, which was from 1956 to the early 1970s. After the implementation of the comics code, DC Comics created its own editorial policy code regarding women in comics, and this is what it said. The inclusion of females in stories is specifically discouraged. Women, when used in plot structure, should be secondary in importance and should be drawn realistically without exaggeration of feminine physical qualities. I mean, like, yay for drawing them realistically, but boo for making them secondary characters only. Yeah. <laughs> Like they're like, <laughs> keep her plain and put her in the background. <sighs> I'm, I'm like tired already, and we're only in the first section. We've gotten no. I mean, strap in for your your threshold of annoyance. Many of the big male superheroes of the time, especially in DC Comics, had female supporting characters. Superman and Lois Lane, Green Lantern and Carol Ferris, Flash and Iris West. You get the idea. When Atlas Comics became Marvel Comics in 1961, we got a few new women superheroes, but they still only had supporting roles. One example of this was Invisible Girl from Fantastic Four. Still no female superheroes in their own right, though. Anyway, let's move on to the Bronze Age of comics from the 1970s through the 1980s. This era of comics reflected many feminist tensions of the time. There was an increase in female characters, not just heroes, but also villains. This was seemingly in response to feminist movement of the time and an attempt to diversify readership. Sounds great, right? Yeah, well, these characters were still pretty stereotypical, but now they were man-haters and angry feminists and that sort of character. Marvel in particular struggled with portraying feminism. They created Miss Marvel, now Captain Marvel, in 1977 at the height of the women's liberation movement. Using Ms. instead of Miss or Mrs. was intended to be a symbol of feminist solidarity. So was her job as an editor of a woman's magazine. I, I think that also, like, Marvel is a hot mess with that because now we do have Miss Marvel, who is mm -hmm. Kamala Khan, which is not Miss Marvel, who is Captain Marvel. It's like, oh, it's... They couldn't see into the future. <laughs> the first few issues of her self-titled comic included the cover line, This Female Fights Back. But the reality of how she was depicted in the pages was a little bit more of a mixed bag. I feel like that's what you get when you're like, hey, dudes, write this thing about a lady. Mm -hmm. And they're like, it's like, it's like half pandering, but like... We tried, but we don't know because we're men. And it's like they didn't hire a woman to write this. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. not. Not in the 70s. It makes me think of the Miles Morales comic um, in the end of one of the first issues. There's like an interaction with his grandmother and she talks mm -hmm. in Spanglish to him. 
but like it's not like I, I showed it to my students and they're just like, what? No one talks like this. <laughs> like that's not where you would put the Spanish or the English, right? They kind of just yeah. like they every other worded it and that's not how Spanglish works. It's like just, I mean, just hire one. I mean, you should hire more diverse. There should be very diverse writers rooms. But like, even if you're like the budget's tight, just hire one person to be like, can you just check this for right? authenticity? Sensitivity readers. It's a thing. Yes. Hire them. Today, many consider Carol Danvers's Captain Marvel, again, formerly Ms. Marvel, to be one of the strongest characters in the Marvel Universe. And we'd like to add Shuri, Black Panther, and Lunella Lafayette, Moon Girl, among the smartest. Women in comics during the Bronze Age still did not see a lot of leadership roles. We mentioned the Invisible Girl earlier. This is this is one example where they did try to do better. During the 1980s, her character and powers developed and she became more assertive and self-confident. She also changed her alias to Invisible Woman. So there's that at least. Yeah, it's a pet peeve of mine. Like Supergirl, Invisible Girl, like Elastigirl. Mm-hmm. Like unless they are under 15, 16, 16 mm-hmm. like... They're women. (laughs) Finally, in terms of our history lesson on women in comics, let's move on to the modern age of comics, which really began after the loosening of the comics code in the late 1980s, early 1990s. The attachment that fans have had with their favorite comics characters has had numerous effects on the ways in which women are portrayed in comics over the years. And in the modern age, we're going to see some extremes. We get some strong female characters getting their own titles during this time, but we also get a whole lot of sex and sexualization of women's to sell those comics as well. Mm-hmm. Women have been shown in more diverse roles. They're in the position, they're in positions of power, they're single parents, they're in same sex relationships, etc. But they're still frequently objectified, especially when drawn and written by male creators. And they're definitely still being killed off. Ever heard of the term fridging? No. <laughs> lies you know what it what you haven't no i li- oh, okay no. i'm sorry i thought you were trying to I how you were doing dare a bit. you no the bit is that i'm uneducated oh, teach okay. me well fridging comes from uh, a website called women in refrigerators that was created in 1999 and i i looked it does still exist i don't know how regularly it's updated but it does hmm. you can still find it This website featured a list of female comic book characters who had either been injured, killed, or had lost their powers and why. Often it was for the sake of progressing a male storyline, right? So like, oh no, we found this woman in the refrigerator. She's dead. We've got to avenge her or whatever. Like, that's the women in refrigerators bit. No, I still don't. Why? Why refrigerator? I thought this is like they're keeping them on ice because they'll be back later. No, or was there like a legit dead body in a refrigerator that this is referencing? I believe so. Now, now you have me second guessing because I'm not. I'm. I don't have a specific origin. It reminds me I'm of um, that bit from Punky Brewster. I don't know if you you did. Oh, when she that's when the her very friend, special episode. Yeah, the very special episode where her friend was in the refrigerator. <laughs> oh, it's a TV trope where they find the dead bodies in refrigerators. Yes. Yes. Okay. So just oh, it's. It's known as a disposable woman, a female character who is present in the story just so that she can be attacked or killed. Her attack spurs the story ahead, and that's all. Right. Right. So I guess She's it not comes involved. from finding, yeah, finding a dead body in a fridge and then like needing to 
move forward and like avenge so if you yeah, if you ever hear that term oh. fridging like they'll say like oh it fridged another one or like oh this show is full of like supernatural is known for fridging female characters oh my god <laughs> if we could do an episode i honestly i love supernatural but that was the women of it supernatural. was almost <laughs> enough to make me it almost it almost was enough to make me stop watching the show like anytime a woman helped them she was rewarded by being killed or like blind or there's like a whole, her whole family there's a whole being thing destroyed. about like anyone that sam slept with died like anyone that sam Ugh. had sex with died <laughs> yeah oh yeah i'm like going through it i'm like mm. uh-huh <laughs> yeah that's that's male writers right is that what that is like i i guess what are we talking about for sure i mean because that's like and i love supernatural but like i think of like how dirty they did so many women in that show that it just bothered me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. meanwhile bobby got to come back a million times and was fine <laughs> but we love bobby it's we fine. do love bobby that's a different podcast so let's get back to the mcu so to be fair, the instances of fridging and characterizing women as sex objects has decreased in the last decade or so. This is a good thing. As of super recently, we're also seeing more non-binary characters and characters breaking from rigid societal stereotypes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think all of those changes are are crucial. But let's talk a little bit about the sexualization of women in comics. I mean, we already talked about it a little bit, but we wanted to add some more. As we mentioned, the comics code was less restrictive beginning in the 1980s, and there were consequences for both male and female comics characters. Men had bigger muscles, smaller heads, and broader shoulders and chest. Women had larger breasts and butts, tiny waists, long legs, large lips, and much more revealing costumes. Women were often posed in such a way as to show the reader both their breasts and their butts at the same time. This is known as the broken back pose, because in order to do this in real life, your back would have to be broken. So I have a legit question, because when I read this, I tried it. So is it (laughs) both boobs or is it side boob? Because if it's one boob, I can do this. No, it's both boobs and both butt cheeks. And I've actually, um, I I put a couple pictures in our Google Drive of characters in this pose. One of them is Wonder Woman. The other one is some spider woman character i don't remember which mm-hmm. one but it's like no you can't you, you, it's not no. it's not physically possible <laughs> yeah like you just be back to front like you have to yeah you would have to literally break your back because i like i read this and then i like stood up and did it. i was like you can get one boob and your whole butt mm-hmm. but you can't get both, both boobs, boobs you, and both butt cheeks. you physically can't <laughs> No, that's not how that works. Yeah, so, Sean and I were doing it in the living room too, trying to be like, well, how, how do you do this? How do you do it? You can't. Yoga? I don't know. You can't. All right. So this is something that unfortunately continues to this day. A perfect example of this would be Black Widow on the Avengers poster. Mm. And if you don't know which one we mean, we will definitely share it in the notes and post it on Instagram. Yes, that is one of my favorite pieces of art that I ever found was someone who like, photoshopped it all reverse so that the male characters were showing yes. their butts and and i have seen that <laughs> yeah black widow was not so let's talk a little bit more about different types of characters so we're seeing more um lgbtqia plus characters but in the mcu there hasn't been much of this yet there are definitely a few women who identify as queer we have valkyrie sylvie and io and my personal favorite america chavez 
Black women didn't begin appearing regularly in comics until the 1970s. One of the first was Storm from the X-Men in 1975. Then Monica Rambeau as Captain Marvel in 1982. Yes, there are multiple universes and so on, so we can have, uh, you know, a black Captain Marvel. I mean, we can have a woman as Captain Marvel. We'll get to that later. But uh, when black women appear in comics, they're often not fully human, though. Right. Think Storm. Mm. Gamora is another example. Right. You know, she's not even shown as black. She's shown as green. Yeah. Or if they are as fully human, they're sidekicks. Um, you know, we get this with Falcon in, um, with Captain America before he becomes Captain America. Um, mm-hmm. we get it with Don Cheadle's whoever Don Cheadle, yeah, <laughs> like whoever John Cheadle plays yeah. in Iron Man. Yeah, exactly. Like they're, they're sidekicks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but a big exception to this would be the women of Black Panther. I think they, they are not sidekicks they are Mm -hmm. the badass fighters and they're all fully human (laughs) Mm -hmm. so latina women didn't appear in the comics until 1981 in love and rockets by the hernandez brothers and in the late 80s marvel and dc began recasting popular superheroes with different ethnicities so not even original characters but like latino Mm spider-man and that sort of a thing Original Latina characters began to appear in the 19, I want to say 1900s, but like that's kind of right, but <laughs> it's not really. right, but it also makes you sound like Gen Z or Alpha. <laughs> I know. They're so mean to us. Okay. Original Latina characters began appearing in the 90s and 2000s. Anya Corazon, Spider Girl, also known as Aranya, and American Sh- America Chavez, Miss America. And when it comes to Asian women in the MCU, we don't have a lot of main characters. The only title character so far is Kamala Khan as Miss Marvel. There's also Mantis from Guardians of the Galaxy, but just like with many black women, she's not fully human. And there's plenty of side characters, right? You know, in Shang-Chi, we have some women that are are appearing there, but we could definitely use more main characters that are Asian Marvel. So now let's talk about women of the MCU specifically. We mentioned a few of them already in our history lesson, but let's hone in a little bit more into the film specifically. There are plenty of women who do important work in these films, and they're not all love interests. But in the early MCU films, very few were central heroes. Yeah, so let's go back to phase one, right? Uh, The MCU is divided into phases. Technically, we're up to phase five, but uh, phase one, the films of... The MCU include Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, mm, debatable, let's not lie. I don't really count that, but... That movie is terrible. Well, and it's also not the same guy. Like, they just like, oh, one day you turn yeah. from Edward Norton into, <laughs> like... Uh, I I get, I talk about that a little bit later, but that... We should have never seen The Hulk again based on how those films did. Like, they didn't make any money, and they were also terrible, and yeah. poor Liv Tyler was in them, and I don't know why. They were horrible. But I do love Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> hey, he's the, be- he's the best. But He's the best, and they should have used him from the beginning. I don't know what... But you're so right. You're did. so right. Like, anyway, but you, we'll get to it. Uh, other yeah. movies, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, The First Avenger, and then finally, The Avengers. So in terms of heroes in suits doing the fighting... We really only have Natasha Romanov's Black Widow character. Um, you know, I mean, sure, Pepper Potts is extremely important, and Peggy Carter and Jane Foster are there. But similar to the Silver Age of comics, they're helpers and not heroes. 
So I kind of went down a rabbit hole on Pepper, and I think that we should cover her on a little rub. Okay. All right. Yes. Put her on the She's, list. Put her on the I list. I already did. <laughs> Put her on the list. She's there. So let's talk about phase two. Here we have Iron Man 3, Thor The Dark World, Captain America The Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Age of Ultron, and Ant-Man. Here we add Hope Pym of Ant-Man, Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxy, and of course Black Widow. But still, no women as title characters. Again, we want to be clear that there are women in these films, and they do play important roles, like Maria Hill. But they're not heroes. Right. I mean, you just look at the title, and from the title, I'm not going to be convinced I want to see any of these if I'm looking for women. Guardians mm-hmm. of the Galaxy, I'm like, okay, well, there's plural, so maybe. Avengers, I know I'm going to get Black Widow, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Phase three films include Captain America Civil War, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Captain Marvel, Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man Far From Home. That's a lot. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. films there, and only one of them has a title woman, right? We finally get that, that female superhero as the title character. It's Captain Marvel. And we we get one that shares the spotlight with Paul Rudd's Ant-Man, the Wasp. I mean, you mentioned mm-hmm. her in Phase 2, but she actually gets to be part of the title now. Yeah. Um, and we also see more women playing a role in some of the other films, especially Black Panther. You know, yes, the Dora Milaje, uh, Io, Okoye, Shuri, and Thor Ragnarok with Valkyrie. It seems like we're improving, but the vast majority are still men and mostly white men. Mm-hmm. So in phase four, we would argue that this phase gives you the most women yet. The media from phase four includes TV shows, thanks Disney Plus, and films. So you've got WandaVision, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Black Widow, Loki, What If, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Eternals, Hawkeye, Spider-Man No Way Home, Moon Knight, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Miss Marvel, Thor, Love and Thunder, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Werewolf by Night, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. Okay, so that's... I have not seen Werewolf by Night, and I haven't seen the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. Those are the only two from this entire list that we... Well, no, I also haven't watched The Incredible Hulk because I knew how bad it was, so I just never did. (laughs) You know, I haven't seen... I haven't seen Werewolf by Night or the I'm kind of disappointed in myself for not seeing Werewolf by Night because it's there it stars Gael Garcia Bernal who's like one of my favorite uh Latino actors that like he was in Itu Mama Tambien with Diego Luna like way back in the day. Never heard of this. Well, it was planned to be a feature film but then something happened and they were like let's just make it a TV show. Got it. Oh, I'd watch this. I didn't I I'm like but that I'm still in my head. I'm like not a Disney person, but we have Disney Plus (laughs) and like I watch some stuff. I'm always like ugh, a new Disney movie and then I watch it and I cry. So what's interesting here about all of these new developments in phase four is that, yes, there are more women as main characters and as heroes, but they appear more often in the TV shows than on the big screen. We get the Black Widow film and the TV and TV shows like WandaVision, Hawkeye, Miss Marvel and She-Hulk. We also see a female alternate universe version of Loki and we meet America Chavez in the Doctor Strange movie and the Dormilaje return in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. So not only do we get all the female representation from all those things I just listed, but we also have a BIPOC 
representation as well. We have queer women and we give women deeper storylines in phase four. One thing I want to point out there is that, you know, Doctor Strange was a movie. Black Panther was a movie and Black Panther did focus on women. Um, The Black Widow film. Yes, it was a film, but because it came out during the early stages of the pandemic, it was Mm -hmm. released straight to Disney. So it was it wasn't in theaters. It didn't have the opportunity to gross the the money that it would have otherwise that was a whole thing oh, yeah. too with scarlett johansson like snaps suing. to her yeah. snaps to her yeah phase five has just begun there are only two films out so far ant-man and the wasp quantumania and guardians of the galaxy volume three i haven't seen either of those yet but they are on my list quantumania came to disney plus so now i'll watch it <laughs> I saw Ant-Man in theater because of Jonathan Majors, R.I.P. Um, he's not but actually I have not dead, seen. he's just culturally dead. <laughs> uh, to me, to me he is. And it, I mourn that, like, ugh. I, we're, that, this is not what this podcast is about. But, like, way to, like, ruin such a perfect career. Like, we were all rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. And you've done this and ruined, like this franchise because like not a spoiler but like he's the villain in ant-man and the wasp quantum he's the villain from the whole phase five i think yeah that's the thing like he's he's the anchor Yeah, he's thanos basically yeah and he just like fucked everything up including his career and but you know we deserve not to see him anymore you know what's interesting though had it been a white man are you talking about the dude from The Flash? Because that movie is still coming right? out. And I'm shocked. I saw a preview for it. I was like, wait, didn't he like hate crime a bunch of people and assault women? And this movie is still coming out. And I was like, I said the exact same thing. I was like, Jonathan Majors is done. But like this dude who I don't I think it's, remember his name. I think their name is Ezra Miller. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ezra Miller. They, they are. They are. They. But they are a hot mess and they are an abuser and that movie is still coming mm-hmm. out and i was just like how they make it's dc it's not it's not it's not mcu, MCU i don't know but... if it would have been a difference but i don't know how they decided to still release that film i was shocked when i saw that preview i was like wait aren't they like a mess right now i guess they're like we filmed this so we're just gonna oh, release it and lies, you'll see it lies, if you see it lies 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 because they also had a batgirl <gasps> that bothered me so Already much because filmed, they filmed bad girl done. completely done yeah vanished erased from existence they could have so that was my back to the future quote <laughs> <laughs> the things i was reading on that is like they they were able to like write it off as a loss and get like paid for bad girl why wouldn't they do that with the flash and release bad girl exactly exactly and Bad Girl was played. I don't remember the actress's name, but she was in the Heights. She, she was, was in Latina. the movie in the Heights. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's just like I'm like I followed her on Instagram for a while, and it got really sad because she would like post things because this was her big break. This was her big movie, and they were like, "Guess what? Goodbye." And how they got rid of it, no one can ever show it. Like it's just like deleted. Mm-hmm. It's fucked. It's fucked, and I hope she gets more roles. Like. She was good and in the heights. It's just like, it seems like a really shitty situation where you decided to pursue this movie with a known criminal because they were arrested mm-hmm. and you were just like, well, let's, let's get rid of the one with the Latina actress. Yeah. I, I can't. It's a weird I, it choice. Makes me so mad. <sighs> yeah. 
Anyway, phase five of the other films that are listed in phase five, those that highlight female superheroes include the Marvels, Agatha Coven of Chaos, and Echo. Uh, but we'll see what they do. And I think only one of them is a feature film. I believe Coven of Chaos the and Marvels. Echo are both TV shows. Yeah, the Marvels I just saw a preview for and I'm very excited. Yes. I mean, I love Brie Larson. So. Yes. The ways in which women are portrayed in comics is still a hot topic. Even though there is a more realistic portrayal of women in more, in more independent comics, sometimes Marvel and DC don't do that well with it. In terms of the MCU, I think that they're getting better at portraying a diverse group of women as superheroes, but there's still a long way to go before we can come close to balancing out the number of white male superheroes in these films. Women are still treated differently on the page and on the screen than men are. We'll get into that a little bit more in a moment. However, we can agree that some steps have been made towards equality and desexualizing some of these superheroes. How did the media respond to the boost in female superheroes? Well, hypersexualization, of course. In an article titled, Our 20 Favorite Women from the Marvel Universe, Brian Riley gives a list of the most captivating superwomen of the MCU. The top five include Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. Absolutely fair. Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Wish. Makes sense. Evangeline Lilly as the Wasp. Mm, not my favorite, but okay. And then Laura Harrier as Liz Allen in Spider-Man Homecoming. I had to look that up. I was like, wait, who? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when I got to that part of the list, I was like, this feels like a joke. Or by captivating, Brian just means hot. If you've seen the film, Liz is a love interest. She's great, but has no powers and is more of a plot link. And she's kind of barely in the film. So Got for it. her to be like the top 20 Super in the top five. Yes. Like I don't. I Brian just meant hot. And you could just say that, Brian. There's a place for that list. <laughs> Brian wouldn't be the first or the last to reduce these women to their looks. I mean, it starts with Black Widow, right? Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow made her MCU debut in Iron Man 2. And after 11 years, she finally got her own film. 11 years. In those 11 years, Johansson had to put up with question after question about the diet she maintained to play her role as Black Widow, whether she wore underwear underneath her costume, how it felt to be adored by male fans, how it felt to be the sexy Avenger, and so on and so on. While doing press for her film, Black Widow, Johansson spoke out about her character evolving and moving away from being seen as only this only a sex object. She said, we're moving away from that kind of hypersexualization of this character. I mean, you look back at Iron Man 2 and while it was really fun and, and had a lot of great moments in it, the character was so sexualized, you know, really talked about like she was a piece of something like a possession or a thing or whatever. She wasn't wrong. Natasha's body was exploited via a tight and low cut uniform that would be hard to climb stairs in let alone have actual fights in. Seeing women as just sexual beings in superhero films only devalues their role in the franchise and in society. This can cause them to be written as throwaway characters with no plot. If Natasha was viewed as a sex object, does that stand true for the actress that plays her? Maybe, or at least that's what the world thought. Even Johansson's co-star Jeremy Renner seemed a little bit confused. Back in 2015, he and Chris Evans were were asked how they felt about Black Widow being shipped with the Hulk and not with either of their characters as fans were predicting. Do we know what ship means, everybody? Like, when you relationship someone. Yeah, you want the two characters to be together. Yeah. 
You guys got it. Cool. So without missing a beat, Renna replied, well, she's a slut, leading a laughing Chris Evans to call her a whore. Yikes. My heart broke at that because I don't expect much from Jeremy Renner ever. But Chris Evans. Yeah. Chris Evans. Yikes. 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 I mean, the reporter quickly moves on, but it's on film forever, right? The Internet is forever. Mm hmm. In statements to Entertainment Weekly, both Evans and Renner apologized for their remarks. But a few weeks later, Renner was on Conan and tried to defend his joke by saying, mind you, I was talking about a fictional character and fictional behavior. But Conan, if you slept with Ford of the six Avengers, no matter how much fun you had, you'd be a slut. I'd be a slut. I feel like that multiverse is behind a paywall. <laughs> I don't want to see like it. One that I'm not going to be paying for. No. And, and listen, Black Widow hasn't had sex with four of the six Avengers. She hasn't had sex with any of them. At least not that we're aware of, right? Renner knows this, but by making jokes to the contrary, he's demeaning Black Widow and Johansson. He's in the film and seemingly friends with the actress who plays this slut, as he calls her, and he still can't help himself. From the minute she shows up on screen, Black Widow is treated like a piece of meat. She regains the upper hand by flirting with most of the Avengers. With Captain America, it's done to make him feel uncomfortable since he's so stiff. The rest of it is like professional flirting, right? I mean, she's a spy and this is sort of her like go-to move to how she gets her intel. Also, flirting isn't fucking, so there's that. Right? In 2011, being treated like a piece of meat followed Scarlett Johansson off screen. A short time after Black Widow was introduced to the world in Iron Man, Johansson was one of around 50 people who was targeted in a phone hacking attack and her nudes were released. We can't say for certain that these two things are 100% related, but there definitely is a correlation between being seen as a sex object on film and having people think that they have ownership of you in real life. Right? Some critics of the MCU use Renner's joke as a teachable moment. This joke only works because Black Widow, no matter what she does, it comes back to gender. She's the only woman in the room. Yeah. So how do we solve that problem? Give the people what they want. One group of Marvel fans has been asking for more women and people of color. And the other group? They hate change. And I don't know, maybe women? Through the early phases, we've gotten more women. But like we said before, no title characters and very little story development. By the time we get to phase four, we have so many women. Some are more fleshed out than others, but it's a start. But for some critics, it's a hard stop. One YouTuber, oh, this is this is a hard part for us here. One YouTuber, Sydney Watson, accuses the MCU of pandering to the girl bosses of the world. In a video titled The Failure of Feminist Hollywood, Watson calls out the MCU, saying, In an effort to place women in what have been long considered male roles, feminist Hollywood overcorrected, giving us a series of unlikable, unrelatable, and unrealistic, strong female leads. So I kind of want to start with the unrealistic part, because yeah. like some of them can fly. It's a superhero movie. Of course, it's unrealistic. Like exactly. Like move on. <laughs> like, but none of it's real. It's it's a movie. Um, the unrelatable part. Yeah, it might be hard to relate to Wanda Maximoff as a child trapped under the rubble of an explosion that killed both of your parents, while another missile sits nearby, waiting to explode, terrorizing you for days as you remain stuck in said rubble. 
But the loss that Wanda feels for her parents and later her brother is painfully relatable. The anger that she feels towards Stark and Stark's family is relatable as fuck. Chain Stark to any medical illness that took a family member too soon. And yeah, it's relatable. Exactly. Watson uses She-Hulk attorney at law as an example, saying the only people that liked it were bitter women with 15 cats. Watson took issue with the lead Jennifer Walters not being interested in being a superhero, but being more interested in her career and dating. Like, I don't have 15 cats, but yeah, yeah. maybe I am a bitter woman. <laughs> I am on the surface. Good, good. No, no cats, all bitter. That should be a shirt. <laughs> that should be a shirt. So because of Watson and her very visible contempt for She-Hulk, Attorney of Law, I watched it. And, like, it's been on my list for a while. And I'm like, eh, let's see if, like, what she says is true. And I do think that it's funny that she picked this show to as the one to, like, push her narrative. Because it's so open and so honest. And it literally breaks the fourth wall and brings the viewer into its world. It even calls out Marvel and the writers criticizing itself. And I don't, I just, I just don't get it. Like, Walters doesn't want to be a superhero, which she states very early on. It's not a steak, it's not, like, a sneaky plot point. And I'm not going to, like, further explain a lot more because I really do want people to watch it. It's on Disney Plus. I loved it. It's, Me too. It feels like, I don't know, it feels like a superhero show for people who are just regular. Yeah. Like, it's it's like an additional, like, the main part of it is, the main part of it is not that she's a superhero. The main part is that she's a woman in her 30s living her life. Yeah. And she became a superhero. Like, it's... And it's not meant I really to liked it. follow the plot cycle of a superhero movie. It's meant to be exactly. more of, like, a, like a romantic comedy type thing, almost. Exactly. Watson goes on to say, Because these female characters are often shoved into a movie or a show for no good reason, it means that they aren't fully-fledged people with their own pain, struggles, and flaws... They're there for the express purpose of propagating a feminist message. And when they do, for some reason, have a struggle, it's as one dimensional and flat as well. I, like, it hurts me to say her words. <laughs> I know. So I literally said, I'm not going to talk about She-Hulk anymore, but She-Hulk is the perfect example for everything that she's saying. So let's use She-Hulk one more time. Uh, Jen Walters herself is an example of exactly what Sydney is talking about. Walters gets the responsibility that she didn't want and has to overcome it while trying to fit in a job where she feels like she might have just been hired because she checks a box. I mean, like, who hasn't been personally victimized by imposter syndrome? Yeah, I have. Oh, wait. Raise your hands. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's so relatable. Walters is also trying to date in her 30s while balancing friendships, family, and her career. These are all relatable struggles that Watson claims that are missing from female characters. It seems like maybe Watson means that these aren't relatable to her, so they're not important. Well, that's what I was wondering, because, you know, Jennifer Walters is a woman who's in her 30s, presumably, mm -hmm. maybe getting close to 40, and mm -hmm. maybe this Watson woman is a... Uh, in her early 20s or something. I don't know her age. I don't care to know her age. But she's certainly acting like she's not... Like, she doesn't have any sort of lived experience. Yeah, I, I know. I I don't just want to blanket call her terrible because, like, I'm, I'm not that person. But I'm, like, looking for reasons to be like, well, maybe she doesn't relate because she's so much younger. And she's never had to go through that whole... Your parents are asking when you're going to get married. They're asking, like, when your career is starting. Like, you have all this imposter syndrome. Maybe she hasn't had that yet. But, like, I feel like she has. Like, she doesn't seem that 
young yeah. she's not like 19 or something i feel like even you have those experiences when you're 19 to no some it's extent. true it's true you're you're very right i mean sydney who is a white presenting australian american australian australian she american ma- she, she one of american. her parents is is american um but um, she's a conservative YouTuber and political commentator. And she makes it sound like diversity is a burden. Watson claims modern feminist characters are not people. They serve as vessels for feminist propaganda and man-hating. She goes on to say, I think it's more or less true that when writers focus more attention on the sex, skin color, or sexual orientation of a character, rather than making that character into a multifaceted individual, it's ultimately unwatchable. I mean, yeah, if that's their only characteristic, but in none mm-hmm. of these cases is someone's skin color or orientation or gender, sex, like, that's not their only identity trait. No. Yeah, so when it comes to race, there are very few people of color in the MCU in the first place. It is getting better, but it was a very rocky start. But let's use the great Angela Bassett as an example of focusing attention on skin color. Any excuse She's- to talk about Angela Bassett. She's on my shirt. Any excuse. Yes. She's a black actress who plays Queen Ramonda in Black Panther. She is the head of a powerful royal family. Outside of being the wife and mother to three leaders, she is a powerful woman in her own right. She is a skilled fighter and has a photographic memory. She is also a wise woman who has a great deal of knowledge about Wakanda and its people. Ramonda is a loving mother who is always there for her children. She's also a strong and independent woman who's not afraid to speak her mind and challenge people. Ramonda is a complex and multifaceted character who is an important part of the Black Panther mythology. She also happens to be black. If they just needed to get a black person with no depth, they could have. But they got Angela Bassett, who was very watchable and skilled at conveying emotions, motivations, and intentions of Queen Ramonda. Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Miss Marvel, is a 16-year-old Pakistani-American from Jersey City. I mean, there's already so many levels right there, right? (laughs) She's also Muslim and can be seen praying and having an open relationship with her parents. The show portrays her and her family as three-dimensional. They speak a mix of Urdu and English. They also shut down the misconception that all Muslim or Southeast Asian parents are close-minded or controlling and that the kids are looking to rebel against harsh traditions, right? It, it actually shows a really good blending of wanting to be a part of and involved in your culture and your, and your ethnicity, mm-hmm. but simultaneously being a rebellious teenager, Right. Her rebellions are teen rebellions, not cultural rebellions. I just started like I'm up to like episode three. I feel like it might be too young for me, but I'm enjoying it. And I see like the levels like not a spoiler, but like she wants to go to this like Avenger con and her parents don't want her to. And there's like, oh, she's rebelling against them. But also like her and her friend go to like a mosque and like they're praying and they're super into it. And I feel like. Usually when you see like Muslims on TV, it's like, oh, I don't want to go pray with my parents. That's boring. And it's like they do this. That's their culture. Like yeah. it's not her friend weird even to them. becomes part of like the. Yeah. She's like running for the, uh, the, the board, board of the mosque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a female, which is like super interesting. And like things like that make me want to keep watching it. It's, I'm like, this is good. interesting. And, and yeah. I, one thing I like about it is kind of that that blending of some of the comics features with the the live action which how everything's like moving in the background constantly like that's cool it's a unique art form as well right they're Mm -hmm. kind of taking the time to experiment with some of the the film skills as well yes so all of that to say 
these characters are super multifaceted and way more dimensional than Watson could ever dream of. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's just not watching these or maybe she's just reading blurbs. But like if you watch one or two episodes or if you watch even a speech from Black Panther, you can see the dimensions in these in these characters like they've got levels. Yeah, they totally do. Another one of Watson's claims, we're going to stop talking about her soon. We have to. But another one of her claims is that Brie Larson is unlikable on screen and off by everyone. Um, <laughs> Laughs in internalized misogyny. Yeah. Also incorrect. <laughs> like insert. Yeah. I know you don't watch Shit's Creek, but I'm sure you've seen the meme where it's um, David from Shit's Creek, the, the son. And he's like, mm-hmm. incorrect. <laughs> Captain Marvel is a touchy subject, though, right? The internet seems pretty split. Fans criticize the Captain Marvel character for being too cocky and way too egotistical to be a superhero. Um, what? Mm -hmm. Other fans claim that she was just empowered. I mean, she's a superhero. Why can't she be cocky? Iron Man is cocky as fuck. Yeah. Right? He's literally like, hi, I'm Iron Man. Like, in your face. Like, there's nothing secret about it, right? According to giantfreakingrobot.com, To this day, there is no Marvel Cinematic Universe character quite so divisive as Captain Marvel. Some find the powerful hero an awesome and inspirational addition to the MCU, but others have expressed problems with everything from her hairstyle to Brie Larson herself, the actor behind the spandex. So Captain Marvel was subject to review bombing. So review bombing is when a large number of people or a few people with multiple accounts post negative reviews online and attempt to harm sales. So I didn't see Captain Marvel in theaters because of this. I was fooled and I was a dummy. So the bombing was so bad for this film that Rotten Tomatoes ended up altering its rating system to prevent reviews from being made before the release of a movie. But why? Why do people hate Captain Marvel? (laughs) Captain Marvel was the first female lead in the MCU and probably one of the strongest. Her powers being similar to those of Superman from DC. And in fact, uh, Captain Marvel was originally published by DC until they decided the character was too similar to Superman. Nice. Uh, Anyway, there's a certain type of fan that hates that she has all the power. And we're going to come back to that. But that type of fan would rather burn the system to the ground than see a woman win. As soon as Brie Larson was announced as the actress who would play Carol Danvers, there was some pushback. Captain Marvel was, is this true? So I read this, but then I read it like, she was originally a man, but then she became a woman. It was and probably like, a different no, universe or something, or powers okay. got passed. So like, is she, okay. it's like a different iteration. Mm-hmm. So the original iteration of Captain Marvel was a man. Correct. Okay. The original iteration of Captain Marvel was a man, and the gender swap caused people to scream wokeness. My favorite. I mean... Sure. It was originally a man, but it was like originally a man in like the 1950s or the 60s. Like when it was it, it there were plenty of comics as a female Captain Marvel that were already out before this film. So it wasn't like a total but gender swap. Those don't matter because it was originally a man and women are trying to steal so men's power. So sorry. So Rebecca, sorry. <laughs> don't you know this already? I'm ashamed. <laughs> So all of this, you know, perceived wokeness, which I hate that like that word has been so co-opted. But uh, this paired with Brie Larson's very strong and vocal political opinion was too much for some. Brie has always voiced her opinion regarding her political and social views. 
While accepting an award in 2018, she called for more critics of color. She stated, of the 100 highest grossing movies in 2017, less than a quarter of the critics were white women, less than 10% were underrepresented men, and only 2.5% were women of color. She went on to say that she didn't hate the white dudes writing the reviews, but that she'd like to hear from different voices. She says, I don't want to hear what a white man has to say about A Wrinkle in Time. I want to hear what a woman of color, a biracial woman, has to say about the film. I want to hear what teenagers think about the film. All some critics heard was, I hate you, and she's been on their bad side ever since. She really has, like, I've seen people talk about, or some news or outlets talk about this story, and it's just like... Brie Larson hates white dudes. It's like the subject line. It's like, I know that you need to like Click make bait. it jazzy for clickbait, but like don't misrepresent her words or like in the section, like in the story, they'll have what she actually said. But if all you're reading is headlines, which some of these people only read headlines, mm-hmm. all you think is, oh, Brie Larson hates white men. So why should we go see her movie? And it's just like, that's not how it is. Like you should do your own research. Everyone do your own research. Yes. So we think that Watson, Sydney, she's dead wrong about Brie Larson. Yes. We both find her very likable. So do most of the actors in the MCU, especially Samuel Jackson. They're like besties. He gave her a birthday present. He gave her a lightsaber for her birthday. Awesome. They're close. Um, we can totally understand some of the criticisms about the world of female superheroes. However, it seems like Watson is, is ignoring that feminism and struggles are different for everyone. Maybe there hasn't been a one superhero that has matched her brand of feminism yet. But that doesn't mean that you stop writing these characters. If anything, we need more so that all of us can be seen. I don't think she'd allow herself to be labeled as a feminist. So, Oh, absolutely given, not. <laughs> given what I, I saw about no. her. Uh, it seems like the fans agree, though, and they want more leading ladies. According to the 25 best Marvel heroes ever, a ranking of the greatest heroes of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Done by IGN, an American video game and entertainment media website, uh, it tells us Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, was ranked five, and Peggy Carter was ranked nine by fans. Nebula, Jessica Jones, and Gamora also appear in the top 20. People want more female representation from these films, but fans have to convince the studios. The idea is that the big female-led studio flicks have to prove that they're worth the money of being made. Investors need a guarantee, a commercial viability, of an entire gender. The problem with that is if a female-led film flops, it's seen as a failure to all female-led projects, leading to future projects being delayed or scrapped altogether. I think the funny thing is that, and we spoke about this earlier, the Hulk got two films that flopped, and the actor was consistently recast before Black Widow even got a standalone movie. Studios will risk the cost of a flop if it features a man over a woman. The bar for men is so much lower. Mm-hmm. And based on that dreadful 2008 Incredible Hulk, Marvel's biggest disappointment, if you Google it, it comes up. Like, this is like world-renowned. Shit, my phone is Googling things now. Stop it. Um, it's, it's like well-known that the Incredible Hulk was the biggest disappointment. We should have never seen the Hulk again. Like, that should have been the end for that character. But men get more chances. Exactly. Captain Marvel was released in 2019 and made just over $1.1 billion worldwide, making it the first female-led superhero film to pass the billion-dollar mark, but still the 10th grossing MCU film. So is it a if-you-build-it-they-will-come situation? Maybe. 
Female-driven content is becoming more accessible every day. Broader audience means more money for Marvel slash Disney. It's all about capitalism, right? The happy upside here is that the studios are looking to cash in and will, at least hopefully, maybe, hire writers and crew that actually care about sharing diverse stories. There are going to be some fans and critics that will say, this is all too much. The franchise is becoming too woke. But the fact is that the studio is simply reflecting on its audience's changing demographics and values. People from all walks of life are interested in superheroes. Why can't they have someone they can relate to? So one of the biggest problems with MCO is its fan base. Currently, the audience is 53% male and 47% female. That's from a poll done in 20... I was going to say 2011. That's from a poll done in 2021. From the start, comic writers and artists were most likely white men, and the people doing the reading looked like them as well. So some of this feels like it's their world, and they don't really like any of the changes that's happening in it. In an article titled, White Men Are Feeling Left Out of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, Why Should We Care and What Should We Do? <laughs> uh, Teresa, Hopke use, <laughs> Teresa Hopke uses a great pie analogy to explain it. She says, they use, let's say it's a pie. If people of one group have been getting a bigger portion of the pie, i.e. a larger portion of the available opportunities for a longer point of time, that means another group has been getting a smaller portion. When you're trying to even it out, of course, the group that has been getting a bigger slice historically is now going to get less compared to what they're used to getting. But at the end of the day, they're actually getting their fair share. However, that's not what's being looked at. Women and minorities are looking to get their slice of the pie. And for some white men, it feels like their worlds are being taken away or getting smaller. However, in 2023, there are five MCU projects that are set to be released. Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumanium, The Marvels, Craven the Hunter, and Spider-Man Across the Universe. Two out of five have a non-white male lead, and only one has a majority female cast. The white men still have the upper hand here. We aren't trying to erase them. We just want a piece of the pie for women-led stories and minority-led stories. Why do these men have such an issue embracing female-led stories? Well, one reason that they claim is that they can't relate. I'm sorry. How many, like, how many stories have you ever read or watched that you didn't you like you could relate to even though you're not a white man <laughs> so so many so many things that i've been forced to read written by white men that i'm like i can't relate to this but you know what i try and find some part that i can because hmm. i'm an empathetic person there you go an article about she hulk i know more she hulk but like men hate it so much there's just like so much there she hulk review entertaining but much too heavy-handed written by eric kane Tells a story about first tells a story about overhearing a frustrated mother say to her young misbehaving child, I don't love you anymore. Eric wanted to use this for a story, but his creative writing professor said it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. It's not believable. People will read the line and, and it will ring as false. This is the measurement that Eric uses when writing his review. He goes on to say. This is how I feel about the portrayal of chauvinism and misogyny in She-Hulk. It's not that these things don't exist or aren't present in the real world. Some of the stuff that happens to the female characters in the show likely has happened to a real woman in the real world. But the way these moments are littered throughout the show becomes unbelievable and too on the nose. I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. 
just because you haven't experienced them, I think Kim's eyes rolled and her head came off with it. I died. <laughs> I died. Because I listened to this because it was on, I think, Vice. You can listen to the article. And I just like clicked listen and started doing other things. And I got to this part and I was like, oh, this is a man. A man wrote this, right? And I went back and yeah, Eric with a K is a man. I mean, literally, there were moments in the show where I was like, wow, that identical thing has happened. Yes. It was not just like, oh, this is an exaggerated version of it. No, that shit really happens like that. Mm -hmm. I just don't get to hulk out. (laughs) And neither does she. No, not without consequence. So Eric believes a woman could go on a parade of dates with terrible dude after dude and deals with gross male work colleagues who say sexist remarks or strangers being creepy. But for him, it's just a little much after a while. Try living it, Eric. Try living it. I mean, it feels like code for I don't care, can't relate, this show sucks. If Eric would have taken a second to say, damn, that must be hard to deal with and maybe try and empathize with the character, might have been a different review. Eric might have been a different person. Maybe Larson was actually right about male reviewers. Yeah. Because he doesn't say that he doesn't like it. He In the title, he calls it entertaining. But, like, I don't even get the point of bringing up the things that you think are... And, but it, So it blows my mind because he doesn't even say that he doesn't believe that these things happen. He's just like, well, when you hear them all together, it sounds unbelievable. But they probably happen. So, Eric, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Like, either you you don't believe it or you believe it and you don't care. That's what it sounds like to mm-hmm. me. Like, ugh, it would have been entertaining if this woman didn't keep talking about her life. <laughs> ugh, it's it's very it's frustrating. Exhausting. And you're right. Brie Larson was absolutely right about male reviewers because this guy. This guy. No, thanks. So when you're talking about uh, female writing, there's a correlation between telling female-led stories and telling stories of POCs. It seems like, to me at least, that stories of pain are easier to sell. Um, Rebecca, do you know the term black pain movies or black pain in general? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I get the general idea, but it, it might be a good to recap it anyway. Yes, for you folks at home. Basically, these are movies or TV where black people are in the leading roles, but the main obstacle of the story is overcoming oppression, and usually the main villain is racism. So think Lovecraft Country, Harriet, Blind Spotting, Queen and Slim, Waves, Birth of a Nation, Moonlight, Fruitvale Station, Precious, 12 Years a Slave. I'm sure you could go on. <laughs> I could. That was like long enough. But yes, all great projects. Like, and I love them all, but my God, they are hard to watch. Uh, yeah, I can only imagine. Similarly, it feels like to tell a deep story about a woman, there needs to be some kind of trauma. Right? Like... Nebula and Gamora are defined by the torment they suffered at the hands of their father, Thanos, someone who was supposed to be a caregiver but only caused them pain. Jessica Jones had her whole family killed in a car accident only to be adopted by an abusive woman. She later develops PTSD after being mind-controlled by the villain, Kilgrave, who used his powers to coerce her into doing many things against her will. Jessica Jones is strong as fuck because I would have just fallen into a ball. Yeah, well, she fell into a bottle, (laughs) but she kept fighting. She's an alcoholic. She's—I just remembered. She's an alcoholic. There you go. Mm -hmm. Well, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) So Black Widow was brainwashed and trained as a child to become a spy. The cherry on top is that we learn that she was forced to undergo a hysterectomy as part of her spy training in Russia, and now feels like a monster because she can't have kids. Yikes! As 
<laughs> I just no. I have to say something. Like as someone yes. who has had a hysterectomy, I mean, mine was okay because for me it was a choice to not have children. I didn't want to have them. This is yours wasn't choice. forced on you by a spy organization. No, it was not. <laughs> alas, uh, but no. This idea of like her having to feel like a monster because yeah. she can't have kids. It's like she can be angry and she can want revenge, but we have to make it that she feels like a monster that she feels like mm -hmm. less of a woman yes and that's disgusting to me and i'm really mad that they even insert it it was such a line it's a line that's in there and it's kind of thrown away and it gives you more questions than answers and it doesn't it, there's no need for it because mm -hmm. now it's like okay hey women in the audience who maybe can't have children or don't want to have children you're also a monster why like why do you even need to interject that because it was written by a man and maybe they were just like this this this'll make people feel pity for her or something. I'm not I'm not really sure what that line was supposed to Are there men who have had vasectomies in films and they feel like monsters? <laughs> um right. So the wasp becomes the wasp to gain her father's attention and love. And I feel like she keeps being the wasp because now she's like in a relationship with the ant man. I feel like she doesn't want to be there. I think we mentioned this before, but like Yeah. Hope Pym, I feel like she's just like, I'm along for the ride, but she's not really into any of this. No, I, I definitely got that impression, too. Uh, but then we get Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. the Scarlet Witch. Here she comes telling everyone, hold my beer. And she's got an origin story of her own, right? The, her story is one where her parents die in a wartime bombing. That's not all. Her pain train continues as her twin brother is killed by Ultron trying to save citizens. Oh, and then comes back as like a fake version of him in WandaVision. But like, yeah, oh, so Wanda goes from villain to hero and kind of back to villain again. Right. Mm -hmm. But while she's in her hero phase, she makes this tragic mistake in Lagos where she used her powers to dispose of a bomb and it led to the death of innocent people. All of this resulted in the Sokovia Accords that ultimately split up the Avengers. She had to kill Vision to stop Thanos, only to then watch Thanos bring him back to life and murder him again. Have some have some pain. Right? Just like, here's your pain pie. Keep eating it. We dumped everything onto you. You can handle it. Yeah. And like like that's not that's not even the half of it. She finally broke. Because <laughs> why think? wouldn't you? <laughs> as as witness in WandaVision. She enslaved the minds and lives of an entire town and created a fake family with Vision, trying to get a normal life and escape her painful-ass reality. She loses everything in Doctor Strange 2, but why? In Doctor Strange 2, the multiverse of madness, Wanda tells Stephen Strange, you break the rules and become a hero. I do it and I become the enemy. That doesn't seem fair. That's one of those moments where, like, I really wanted to just, like, applaud in the theater. <laughs> you should. You should. In the article titled The MCU Keeps Doing Its Women Dirty, writer Petrana Radulovic points out that Doctor Strange breaks a lot of new rules in the multiverse of madness and still rises as a hero. Wanda becomes a simplistic one-note villain and becomes the latest MCU woman to fall. I mean, to be honest, I don't know if we've seen the last of her. I, I hope we True. haven't. But, um, but they do leave it off in that place, right? Yeah, where it's like she's presumed gone. I mean, I hope if they bring her back, it's it's not. Can she just have good things happen? Like right? I have this, like this, not a theory, but there's um, 
oh my god what is her name elizabeth moss she only plays characters who have been like treated horribly and she's so good at it but anytime i see her on a movie i'm like could something good happen to you can you just do like a romantic comedy for a little bit because like everything just seems and then she plays great at tragic and like abused women but jesus christ like sometimes you just want to see something good happen to someone so if they do bring back wanda like i hope i hope something something good i i know i hope i don't know maybe she could go live on an island with the hulk and just hang out and drink my ties. I don't know. <laughs> so the other women of note are Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff, and Gomora. The only other women from the earlier phases who aren't built in as a sidekick or a love interest, minus Captain Marvel, who fought and lost. <laughs> the blueprint of these women seems to be a woman with a shady past, joins up with a group of good-natured men, becomes a noble hero, and dies. <laughs> At least Gamora still has like a version of herself floating around up there, but it's not the version that we all like grew to love. So why is it that the women of the MCU's greatest asset seems to be the most stereotypically feminine of traits? Sacrifice? While these deaths are noble and usually heroic, they're still deaths of characters, right? Characters that people had been asking to see. Asking to see alive, maybe, you know, not dead. Mm-hmm. And when it happens over and over, it feels like women are just cannon fodder right they're just like oh here we go load it up shoot another one out dead and before you say like what about tony stark you know his sacrifice was huge yes but he saved billions of people on the planet he got a huge funeral the whole mcu felt the effects of his death and his legacy continues natasha romanoff black widow sacrifices herself to make sure that hawkeye lives because he has a family i mean i roll Uh, You know, the only person grieving this seems to be Hawkeye, like, because Steve Rogers has gone back into the past. And Mm -hmm. so he's not even aware of what's going on. Yeah. The only person that we see grieve it is Hawkeye. Like, Mm -hmm. they they don't even make mention of it. Like, not that, you know, talking about She-Hulk again, but like Bruce doesn't see him broken up about it. Yeah. It doesn't continue over. Maybe her sister. Yes, a little but that's bit. a whole nother movie, right? That we get like way later. later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which also, did you see that one? Yeah, I really liked it. I really, I, I, mean, I liked it way more. Florence than does I is amazing. I, I want to see more of Florence kicking ass as. Well, I think we will. Yes, I think we it will. was real to me. <laughs> I that movie was just so great. Like I loved every bit of it, and it was like I. I never really been into Black Widow because I felt like she was kind of portrayed as like a piece of meat. And I was like, "Ugh, she could be better. But that movie was so good. I was like, why couldn't we get this 11 fucking years ago? I would have appreciated Black Widow so much more if we would have gotten a movie like that earlier in her, like her showing up. If we would have gotten that before she showed up in Iron Man or like, like how everyone else gets there. I know everybody got like a standalone movie and then they did like the Avengers yeah. We would have gotten one like that for her. Exactly. We probably would have had two more, maybe three more by now, because it was fantastic. And every people that I know really liked it. I definitely enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. We don't have any answers for why Marvel is like this. We do have questions for Marvel. Um, is the idea of having a strong female lead just a temporary one? Or do you need to get rid of the older women to make way for the younger generation? Explain yourself, Marvel. I am so sick and tired of getting invested in a major female character in the MCU only to see them end up like a Disney mom, missing or dead. (laughs) Just going to pour one out and have a quick memorial service for the other women whose deaths seemed unnecessary. So here lies Gamora, 
at least original timeline Gamora. Aunt May. Can I just say, and I know like we said spoilers, but I weeped when Aunt May died. First off, I love Marissa Tomei and I really love everything that's happening in the Spider-Man world. And it just seems so fucking unnecessary. Like he's too young and like she was great. It, it was, that's the fridge. That's the fridge. Because then there he gets go. like all empowered to like, now I'm going to stop this thing. But like his aunt is dead. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, he's too young to be without her, I think. And that, that was fucked up. That I cried. It made me so upset. Yeah. Okay. We also have Ajax, uh, who is Selma Hayek in the Eternals. Uh, Wanda or the Scarlet Witch, who's seemingly dead for now. Uh, Dr. Jane Foster, Natalie Portman's character, Frigga, Thor's mom, Ying Li, Shang-Chi's mom. Oh, what? Dead moms? Dead aunts? Mm -hmm. Here we go. So we found this like really amazing quote that we think links back up to the similar feelings of black pain. We are living in a world where women are fighting for their lives and their rights daily, where misogyny is insidious and women regularly fear violence from strangers and partners alike. It is easy to feel that the cost of our lives is cheap, that we mean more in death than we do in life. The MCU, intentionally or not, reiterates that narrative. All that to say, there's a brighter future on the horizon. We hope. Captain Marvel is such a beacon she currently isn't weighed down with too much trauma and is focused on doing good and eager to be a superhero. We'll see what happens in the Marvel's film, though. Yes. Some critics say that she's too arrogant and proud of her skills, but to us, that seems like a good thing. I feel like the same thing could be said for Thor, right? Like, he's huge and strong and really cocky for someone who is constantly tricked and outwitted by his little brother. Like, maybe he should be a little less arrogant. <laughs> nothing nothing like the confidence of a mediocre white man. <laughs> Oh my god, that's, listen, that should be Marvel's, like, byline, because that's, like, what they've been running on for years. Mm -hmm. Tony Stark is all about money and parts. He didn't train to be a superhero. He's smart, but he's also really smug about it. But we love him. Why does Captain Marvel get such judgment? It's important for girls and women to have representation in superhero films that doesn't place them into categories of sexualization or objectification. A woman with superpowers does not need to be exposed or rely on a male character to be a superhero. The future of the MCU seems to be showing us that science is a superpower. I'm, I'm here for that. You know, yeah. Shuri, before she was Black Panther, and Riri Williams, a.k.a. Ironheart from Black Panther, show that being smart and great at STEM is a superpower. The future is bravery. The Dormilaje train and kick ass. So do Yelena and Kate Bishop. The future is also free will. She-Hulk, we're looking at you. The impact of women in the MCU on audiences, and specifically on women, has had its ups and downs. You can never make everyone happy, of course, but more diverse representation, and we're talking gender, sexuality, race, ethnicity, all of this, is key. Let's go back to that scene in the Avengers Endgame. You know, the one with all the female characters? Please don't. I have to. No, I hate it so much. I hate it so much. I know. Well, you know, I, I do. I think this was the one that, that probably made everyone groan in the theater. Like, at least when I went to watch it, everyone was like, ugh. <laughs> it was a terrible scene, but maybe there was something good to come out of that? I mean, it's okay. That scene makes me, makes me want to vomit. So it's the scene where... It's one, I don't remember who the, the female superhero is, but like she's alone. And then Thanos comes over and it's like, she's got help. 
And then all the other, they pan out and all the other female superheroes show up. And I really think that the writers were like, oh, we're going to sync up some periods today. All these women together it, for it the was fight. so cringy. <laughs> it was so cringy. And it did not maybe. It definitely seemed like it was pandering to women. And maybe it would have been better to have more than one scene with multiple women kicking ass together. Honestly. Right. If we had seen these women together before like that. Then exactly. it would have made sense. It would have worked. It was just like, oh, here's a little nugget for you. Goodbye. Mm. <laughs> they were literally strangers. Like, they just walked through portals and um, half of them haven't met each other. But now they're like, hey, what do we have in common? I was going to say vaginas. <laughs> but, like, some of them are, I don't know if Mantis has a vagina. I shouldn't be thinking about that. <laughs> but, like, we're all, we all identify as women. Let's get together and kick ass. And it's like, this is stupid and pandering. And I don't like it. I hate it so much. Yeah. I mean, like, you're right. Maybe this is the beginning of something great for, like, Marvel and women. But it it just, it felt gross. Yeah. Um, but they did start an increase of inclusion of women as superheroes in the MCU films and shows. So exactly. maybe we had to go through that to get to what we have now and i guess it's it's good growing pains right like it's not easy at first exactly i just can't believe that that made it through like test audiences like someone many people saw that and was like yes keep that i will compare that to it's a dc film birds of prey harley quinn's birds of prey when they're all doing this big fight scene and rosie perez's character is like trying to kick ass but her hair is getting in her face and no not rosie perez uh Journey Smollett's character, her hair is getting in her face. And Harley Quinn goes, hair tie? Gives her a hair tie. Jolie Smollett, Journey Smollett puts her hair up and keeps fighting. And it's, it's 100%. It's so much more natural. It so is. Much it's more so natural. much more natural. And it's so much girl power because of how many times, I mean. But we'd already seen them together. Yes, we've already seen them together in, uh, in different levels of friendship. And it was just like the simple nature of like, how many times has like a girl provided something for you like i was mm-hmm. about to say how many times has someone giving you a hair tie but we both currently have very short hair so there's no <laughs> hair ties happening but like a tampon uh a condom let use your phone like it was women supporting women without being pandering and it was so much softer and like but it also hit made harder. me cry it hit so much harder and it's like what was the difference Marvel, you need to contact DC and see what they did That's in that room really the where only they wrote thing that. DC has done well. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm, honestly, biased. I'm biased. I mean, yeah. I mean, we. I'm a big. We already covered Harley Quinn. I'm a big Harley Quinn fan, and they've done her dirty on DC. But like, they're starting to do much better, and that's because Margot Robbie is like, I have a hand in this now. You're not going to continue to fuck up this character. But a lot of their things have not been great. And that's the thing, like you need you need women in the writer's room and producing all the way up. You need women because mm-hmm. they also had a female director. Yes. Yeah. All of these factors matter. Right. And and so female characters now, you know, they have a bigger platform to display their strengths and superpowered abilities. And the fangirls are ready for it. You know, bring clearly it, bring <laughs> it on and keep bringing it on. I mean, we're getting the Marvels with Carol Danvers, Monica Rambeau, and Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, Lady Marvel, and Ms. Marvel. So that's pretty cool. And think about the cosplay. So many more options besides just gender-bending cosplay. Instead of being the exception, powerful story arcs about women are becoming the norm, and storylines that pass the Bechdel test are also becoming more common. We have female characters talking to one another and talking about things other than men. It's kind of nice. 
Films like Black Panther not only give audiences a black protagonist, but both films have the highest female-to-male ratio of any MCU film to date. In the book Politics of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, researcher Bethany Lassina claims that BIPOC viewers are the majority of the MCU's audience between ages 18 and 24. So this was for a chapter she wrote for the book called Who Watches the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Race, Sex, and the Audience for On-Screen Diversity. So that's funny because some of the information that I found, I found another a poll with some numbers um, that the movie viewer de- demographic between the ages of 18 and 34 is mostly white males. Then they make up one third of the total audience. I wonder if like the 10 years there, because yours is to 24 minus the 34. I wonder if that range is like what makes the big difference. I, I think that's probably part of it. And maybe another factor is just like, okay, how many people did you poll? Where did these people True. live that you polled, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how did you access these audiences, right? Were you reaching out through social media? Was it more traditional forms of mm. surveying? Like, I think there's probably a lot of factors. and it, But it, it makes me curious as well, because like your statistics make more sense to me mentally. Like, I just, mm. I would automatically default to that. But I guess maybe it just means that that demographic is growing, the BIPOC yeah. viewers and audiences growing, right? Because even the the demographics for women is growing. Like I, when I was looking up numbers, every year it was changing and like pretty drastically. So I don't want to say like numbers don't matter, but like you just have to be aware like things are constantly changing. Like don't hold the numbers to be the be all and end all, right? Mm-hmm. Try and engage if you want to engage and change those numbers. There are some downsides though, right? Women in the MCU, and honestly other comic portrayals as well, but since the MCU is our focus, we'll go with that. These women often have unrealistic figures, large chests, curvy butts, improbable hourglass figures, and they wear revealing attire that's not practical for fighting crime. Going back to the comics code, this is definitely to cater to the male gaze, but what's the impact on women? I mean, there's nothing wrong with highlighting female sexuality, but that can't be the only look that we get. Women and young girls need to see different body shapes and sizes represented. Otherwise, we might not make a lot of progress in the whole like body image department. Mm-hmm. Exposures to hypersexualized characters can impact beliefs about gender roles, body esteem, and self-objectification. And are the male superheroes getting unreasonable body expectations as well? Of course, but that's someone else's podcast. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Often we see women in the role of damsel in distress. This woman is typically delicate, naive, and defenseless. But of course, she's also sexy and beautiful. She may not be strong, but she's kind. She may not be cunning, but she's got curves. Again, this is feeding into this patriarchal gendered expectation of what a woman should be. (sighs) That should. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So frustrating. Exposure to these types of characters may also serve to lower women's self-esteem and impact the value that they put on body image. This whole damsel in distress trope is changing, and we've seen it directly called out in characters like Pepper Potts and MJ, uh, which I'm, I'm looking at the the most recent version of MJ, the right? Zendaya the, version? Yeah, Michelle Jones Watson. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, she's MJ Watson, but she's michelle jones is her is where she gets her mj from Mm, instead of mary jane okay yeah i like it so i'm gonna take a second to like obsess over pepper potts for a second even though this will be done in like another (laughs) episode i think so pepper potts is 
a badass. Like, fun fact, she's had a hand in taking down every villain from the Iron Man films. She's always had an answer. Tony is basically helpless without her. Pepper Potts is a rare character as she was not introduced as a love interest. And actually, the audience is supposed to see her as so far out of Tony's league because he starts off very immature. Mm-hmm. Bonus, I know that she's a badass because when I googled Pepper Potts is a badass, the first two sources were posts from Reddit with men calling her annoying. <laughs> So I feel like when men are like, oh, no, that person's terrible. It's like, oh, no, they're probably great. They're probably exactly. doing something right. You do it. You do it all right. Pep Potts. Yeah. You know, yeah, we've come a long way. And there are a lot more male victims and women who aren't depicted as helpless. So we're getting a mix. Mm-hmm. We're making progress. And that's good. One thing that seems to be happening is a shift towards more egalitarian gender beliefs and a greater focus on physical competence over physical appearance. Now, I don't know about you, but I never thought about being a superhero like when I grew up. I never thought that that was an option. Like it didn't even cross my mind. You know, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? But I bet a lot of little boys did. And Mm -hmm. now I feel like girls have that same option or more examples of that same option. Right. They're seeing so many more female superheroes and seeing themselves represented in these women. It's really exciting to me. Let's consider some of the good stuff that comes from this. It's clearly that seeing depictions of powerful women can boost a girl's self-confidence. So it seems that the solution is pretty straightforward. Put more women of all races and backgrounds on screen. What? Mind-blowing concepts. Whether we want to admit it or not, there's truth to the idea that the media informs us of our roles in society. It tells us who we are and what we can be. It tells us who has power and who matters. When it comes to superheroes, they're absolutely sources of inspiration for girls to believe that they can achieve anything they want to achieve. Why is this? Well, think about it. Superheroes exist in a world full of imagination, opportunity, and possibility. Think about Shuri and Moon Girl and their science and technology knowledge. That can be an influence for young girls who might be getting into the STEM field. We need more diversity there in real life. So let's show girls through superhero movies that it is an option. According to Julie Burton, president of the Women's Media Center, at this time of enormous sweeping social change, it's important that television and film provide an abundance of roles and role models for diverse girls and young women. We know that representation matters and superhero characters help bridge the confidence gap for girls, making them feel strong, brave, confident, inspired, positive and motivated. In a study conducted by Women's Media Center and the BBC America in 2018 called Superpowering Girls, Female Representation in the Sci-Fi and Superhero Genre, researchers learned a lot about the positive impacts of having strong female superhero representation. So a total of 2,431 people participated in the survey, which studied children aged 5 to 19. Interviewees reflected the racial, ethnic, and gender demographics according to U.S. Census data. In this study, both children and teens chose role models who were the same gender as them, and 90% of girls aged 5 to 19 said that female superheroes and other sci-fi characters were role models to them. Number one on the list was Wonder Woman for all girls ages 5 to 19. Number two for girls ages 5 to 9 was Supergirl. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, given that small list of female superheroes at the time, there the number two and three spot uh, or the three spot for the younger girls were like Batman and like another male character. 
So this study was conducted before the release of Captain Marvel or any of the Disney Plus shows featuring female superheroes. It'd be super interesting to see how the diversity in these heroes might impact those numbers. Yeah, like I said, now that they have more female superheroes to choose from, maybe their top three would all be women. The empowering effect of seeing strong female characters was seen across all races and ethnicities, but it was especially pronounced among girls of color. 70% of white girls said they wanted more superheroes who looked like them, but 83% of black girls and 78% of Latina girls said the same thing. Two-thirds of the girls surveyed agreed that there are not enough female role models, strong female characters, and relatable characters on television and film. But this sentiment was also expressed by 69% of boys aged 10 to 19 and 75% of parents of boys aged 5 to 9 because the parents did the answering of the questions for that younger age group. They also said that they enjoyed watching female superheroes just as much as male superheroes. The study also showed that girls believe that female superheroes are smarter and more powerful than male superheroes. Again, Shuri, Moon Girl, Ironheart, Captain Marvel, America Chavez, like, they're smarter, they're mm -hmm. more powerful. Yeah. It all goes back to how it makes people feel. If the media influences people and how they perceive themselves, we need to make sure that that representation is positive and female superheroes make girls feel stronger, brave, confident, inspired, positive, and motivated. All right. So that's a this is a long one. There's a lot of stuff to dig into. But what are yes. your final thoughts or takeaways? Um, that the MCU needs to focus on writing strong female characters. And part of that is hiring strong females to write those characters. Let's please avoid any more of those terrible pandering. She's got help scenes because ugh. I'm yeah. over the pandering. I'm over the black pain. I'm over women pain. I'm very much into the new phase. I want to see crazy shit happen. I want to see She-Hulk win cases. I want to see Miss Marvel go to college. I want to see Yelena Belkanoff kill everyone. I want to see Captain Marvel and Valkyrie making out on a unicorn. Bring it on. <laughs> All the diversity. I'm for it. Look, I mean... Maybe there have been some rocky starts in the MCU, and maybe not all the movies or shows have been raving successes. But men, and particularly white men, don't have the same pressure to make every film a hit. I mean, Thor Dark World? Like, didn't that didn't get Thor booted from the MCU. It was terrible. The fact that women and BIPOC superheroes have to perfectly represent the genre, the culture, the race, the gender, etc. is tremendously unfair. So I'm going to continue to watch all the female-centric MCU media that comes out. Screw the critics. I forgot which Thor was bad because when we were listing them, I was like, one of these is terrible, but I don't remember which one it is. Yeah. Love and Thunder wasn't, wasn't great. Wasn't amazing, but it was silly. And so it was okay. Yes. When I realized, oh, this is what we're doing. Okay. I, I don't like how they did Jane Foster in that movie though. Yeah. And also don't like the ending. Like we won't spoil that one, but like, I don't. I don't like this new path for him. I don't fucking get it at all. Comes out of nowhere. Yeah. It's weird. Anyway, let's talk about our resources and references. So some of the information we got and we think that you should dig into more if you're looking to dig into. Um, it's an article called We Need to Talk About Marvel's Women Problem by Maureen Lee Lankner. Then we have Protectors of Wakanda, a history and training manual of the Dora Milaje written by Kara Mahorn. Uh, a series done by the History Channel called Superheroes Decoded, the hypersexualization of women in comics. 
The MCU keeps doing its women dirty by Petrona Radulovic. Superpowering girls, female representation in the sci-fi superhero genre, a study put out by Women's Media Center. And who watches the Marvel Cinematic Universe, race, sex, and the audience for on-screen diversity by Bethany Lassina in Politics of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, edited by Nicholas Carnes and Lily J. Gorin. And that's definitely a book I'm getting for my bookshelf. Is that supposed to be like who watches the Watchmen? Do you know the Maybe. Watchmen? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I mean, I can see where you're coming from with yeah. that, but I'm not sure because I think it might also just be like... Like literally who watches that? You like know what? who watches it. Yeah. I think it could you be a listen. play. I, I like the play. Um, it's, I'm here for it. It's, I, I'm just... I've got, I've got superheroes on the brain. That's exactly what that was. Mm-hmm. Um, so let us know what you thought of this episode. Do you have anything to add to the conversation that we might have left out? Have you watched She-Hulk yet? Watch it. Do you have any suggestions for women that we should cover in the future? Follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rep Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Big Reputations Pod. Send us a message or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, or your favorite Fatomas. Subscribe and leave a five-star review. Check out our Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. Be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase. And remember, we have a Patreon now, patreon.com slash bigreputationspod, or just check out the link in our link tree. Whether you pledge 2 or $5, you'll get a shout out in our episodes. And if you choose the $5 level, you'll also have exclusive access to our Little Reputations episodes. These are short mini episodes about amazing women throughout history. Next up, Michelle Yeoh. Stick around after the episode where we'll share a teaser from that Little Rep episode. All right, Kim, so what quote do you have for us this week? I have nothing to prove to you, Captain Marvel. And as always, believe women. If you're looking for more information on Michelle Yeoh, where can the people go? You can check out michelleyeoh.info and check out her IMDb because like seriously mm -hmm. she's been in way more things than you could even imagine like yeah and a more. lot of it looks very fun yeah I mean she, this like Hong Kong film like martial arts films and all of that mm -hmm. is just like she's amazing yeah. and you're all amazing so thank you for being Patreon members Oh, Kim can see them from where she is, so. There's, like, two fighter jets that just went by. It's like we're together. <laughs> it is like we're together. 